Welcome back to the Ravelin Ford Academy podcast series. In this episode, we have Mike Haley from Cyphers. Haley currently serves as a Deputy Chief Executive and has more than 25 years' experience of tackling and preventing fraud across the public, private, and not for profit sectors. I just want to start with a bit of a business background and your role at CIFAS, if you could just talk me through it. So I'm currently the Deputy Chief Executive Officer at CIFAS, the fraud prevention organisation, and my background is basically in fraud, so they call me here the fraud geek, a fraud geek in a kind of data geek world. So CIFAS has been going for 30 years now, and it's basically a not-for-profit fraud prevention service, and we facilitate that through a data exchange. So we take fraud risk information from our 400 members, and we facilitate the exchange of that data in a cooperative manner. And as, um, as deputy, what do you do at uh, That's a really good question. <laughs> uh, I'm basically chief operating officer, general counsel, and the deputy to the chief executive rolled into one. And basically, I look after our membership from cradle to grave, bringing in new members, making sure they get data, and making sure that they get best value from money from their membership. Fantastic. So, Cyphers has taken on a lot of the education role for individuals and how they should protect themselves from fraud. How do you think that's going? Well, I think this is a really important issue. So, we can try to prevent fraud in a number of ways. For this, so, the exchange of data is one way that we can prevent fraud through new technologies, machine learning, as Ravelin do, as another method. But we can also do prevention by making sure that individuals protect their own data, that the organisations protect themselves from fraud, and also we try to prevent individuals getting involved in fraud in the first place. And how would you how would you try and kind of help individuals to kind of stop themselves from getting into fraud? So uh, I think there's a, a, a number of ways to do that. First of all, there's consumer education and awareness programs. So trying to raise awareness within uh, organisations, within the media. And recently we've been targeting young people in particular with uh, a number of initiatives. So first of all, some consumer education uh, videos that we hope to go viral. So last year we did something called data to go which was a video around aimed at young people going to uh, coffee shops um, and say they like the um, coffee shop by um, pressing the like on Facebook and then find out that they've actually given away a lot more information on their social media than they should. So warning people that how much information they put into onto social media and on the web in general can be used for nefarious purposes by fraudsters. And we're now we're, we're taking that further to what we call a fraud in the curriculum. So we're working with the PSHE Society, which are the organisation that puts together the lesson plans for um, in, uh, in secondary schools in particular, to try and get fraud awareness uh, in the curriculum because it's one of the great, it's one of the skills that uh, young people need as they enter the world that they should be cyber secure and aware of fraud. Especially nowadays with the younger generation, they like to share everything online. So do you think that's a growing problem that, that you guys are kind of seeing? Yeah, and I don't think we can push the tide back and say don't share anything on social media. It's about what you share. I'm trying to be a bit savvy around uh, the type of personal information that can be used by an identity criminal. We've seen that identity fraud is the biggest growing type of fraud for about five or six years now. And that comes around through some social engineering, but you need somewhere to start before you social engineer uh, an organization. You need to have some profile information about the individual. And people put too much around them out to the, to the wide world. 
of course share with your friends make sure that you are sharing with your friends but not just the whole world and um, kind of speaking about the younger generation are you surprised that they're falling victim to more fraud than maybe their parents or their grandparents or you know the older generation I'm both surprised and not surprised. I'm surprised because I think the younger generation are far more technically savvy, more aware of what's on the internet, but they're also much more involved and most 88% of identity fraud is on the internet. So if you're... Big figure. Yeah, and that 88% of identity crimes online. So it's um, the fact that if you use uh, the internet much more, if you use a lot of social pl media platforms, if you use consumer consumer platforms, then you have a awful lot of information is held by other people. And of course, we've seen such an increase in data breaches, data losses, that on the dark web, so much information is swirling around. And more of that will be of young people who are sharing more. So I'm not surprised by to that extent, but I do think that young people are more savvy around protecting themselves on the internet. So it's just making sure that those who are not listening to lessons actually get more information at the right time in the right voice by younger people talking to young people about this problem. It's mm. really interesting and kind of how optimistic or are you optimistic that we're kind of tackling uh, fraud prevention and the fraud kind of problem effectively? Well, I think it needs a, a holistic response. So I don't think education is a panacea. I don't think just putting out more information to young people, protect yourself, um, don't share information on social media. I think it's only one part of the problem. I think it's a layer of uh, fraud prevention along with technical means, along with uh, information sharing um, and other ways inside the fraud being um, dealt with. So fraud has very many aspects and there's no silver bullet for uh, preventing fraud. So fraud being in the curriculum was one part of preventing fraud, but it's not the solution in itself. Mm. And I suppose um, at Cyphers, you guys have you've got a very successful database um, of fraudsters in, in banking and um, kind of different areas. Um, do you see that expanding into more areas or are you kind of with the, the core. No, no, certainly that's really what we're trying, that's our ambition at the moment too. Um, we, we believe the model of being collaborative and sharing fraud risk information is a model which has proven to be successful in financial services, but we see no reason why it can't be successful in online retail, um, or in utilities, in online gaming. So these are the types of sectors where we're saying now, why aren't you collaborating together as a sector as a not-for-profit trusted aggregator of data um, we can take that data in but they've got to take that first step and realize that it's a common problem it's a problem that you need to collaborate with to be able to combat effectively mm -hmm. so i do believe that the model can um, can expand to more sectors and it should do in terms of uh, collaboration so the term you know data sharing if you've signed up and you might be a fraudster and you've got uh, kind of your account details attached to you and then you know you use another website or service and that kind of your details are there as well so how do you think that would work if it expanded across so many different sectors? Well I think that the growth of um, technology such as uh, open APIs and mm -hmm. enable uh, organizations to now go directly into our database to take data and then match it against any part of the customer journey um, and life cycle. So I think that um, having a, a aggregated data but allowing organizations to come in and use that data in 
more ways than we're allowing at the moment. At the moment, we have a set of data matching rules, straightforward data matching rules to match against the data. So has this person been seen before? Has the address been seen before? Has the device been seen before? Have these three things been seen together? And res responding to that. And it's quite static and structured data set. Um, but I think we need to be saying there's more people who can make more use of that if we now take a step and allow others to come in with different technologies. So I see our role is changing from providing just a data matching service to provide a data aggregation service and allow others to come in and use different techniques on that data and I think that's the future for this organisation and the future for fraud prevention. No I definitely agree with you and um, what sort of fraud trends are you kind of watching at the moment if you're watching any? Um, yeah. Do you see any fraud trends kind of emerging in yeah. the next few years? So, so one of the privileges we have at SciFast with 400 members, all the retail banks, large insurers, all the card issuers, is that we see um, something like 325,000 new frauds a year. And we have uh, over a million cases on our database at the moment. So that gives us a really good view. Something like 800 cases gone each day. So we, we're in a good place to see those fraud trends, both in quick time, but also over longer periods. Over the longer periods, we've seen identity crime increase. More recently, facility takeover fraud. So this is where someone has a genuine account. Um, they've set that up uh, and it's a first party, you know, an individual like me and you, non-fraudsters, um, and that's been taken over by someone who's a fraudster. So they are hijacking those accounts and then getting the facilities uh, before quickly clearing you out and moving away. There was a 45% increase from smaller numbers compared to identity fraud, but that's a worrying increase uh, over the last year. And we've seen also, also an increase in money laundering through money mules where young people particularly opening bank accounts and they're being used by fraudsters and other criminals to wash their money through genuine people's accounts. So they're the two worrying trends we've seen over the last year. That's really interesting. Um, and is there anything else that you'd like to add that maybe I haven't covered or we haven't spoken about? Well, we um, one of the things that we were talking about before the podcast started is this kind of where's the future of fraud? Yeah. If we see um, so much more quick time fraud happening, um, where and our system is based on a, a stable identity, an identity with a name and address, and many fraud prevention organisations use that. All the credit reference bureaus are based on an address history and a person. But now most people are, um, yeah, can be identified through their devices, through their mobiles, um, and and it's quite more ephemeral than it was when it's just a static person. You can knock on their door and know that they're going to be there. Now you kind of track where your device is, and that's a better way of determining who you are. Um, so I think this gives us a number of challenges from all our data sets set on the basis of um, a person at an address to a world where the person's identity is more likely to be uh, structured and um, located on a device which they carry around with them. A device which can be stolen, a device which can be intercepted, uh, a device that can be taken over. Um, we have things like SIM swaps where uh, it's not even the device but the SIM card can be cloned or, or diverted. Uh, we see those type of fraud types and that type takeover of people's accounts and mobiles I think is where the real challenge is in the future and what data we need to be able to share, what type of 
techniques we need in that world are a bit different than the techniques we've had and successfully used for the last 30 years. So, you know, lots of um, challenges still to uh, tackle in fraud. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on our podcast. You're welcome. Very welcome. Mm-hmm.